0: Throughout my whole life, ADHD was, was you know, it was undiagnosed. I only knew what it was three years ago. Sure. And I've only come to learn a little bit more about it through my daughter, okay. who is is in the business of neurodivergency, but it's only through trying to help her through some of her struggles mm. that I've realized, mm. my God, it's made me reevaluate my whole life. Mm. I just thought it was I was an idiot. It turns out, you know, I was, I was an idiot sometimes, obviously. But um, yeah, it, it turns out that my brain works in a certain way. Mitch
1: Sullivan, welcome to the Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast. I'm delighted to have you on the show. Um, 50,000 connections. We've spoken before, a few years back about retainers, actually. I've always loved your content. Um, How I would describe you is that you take the piss but nicely and in a very informative way. I hope that's okay <laughs> tell me more of
0: getting, taking the piss of something I've got better at over the years <laughs> actually
1: yeah. tell the audience a bit more those that don't know what you currently do
0: okay I, I, look, I, I run a training business that I started seven years ago or well, a product it's not a business because it, it still operates under under my original company name um, but it's a copy it's very specific it's a and training um, course specifically for recruiters um, that's kind of been it was successful pretty much from the get-go
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and it's just ticking over nicely gradually increasing quarter on quarter yeah um i kind of own that training niche in the uk although to be fair i created it because it didn't exist be- before i came along with this um so my next challenge now time permitting is um to try and export it to the rest of the world really wow so, and obviously that means america and canada mm-hmm. more significantly so Great. So yeah, um, I still do a bit of recruitment um, because I like to get my hand in and it adds to my credibility as a trainer. So sure. I probably fill four or five jobs a year.
1: Great.
0: Increasingly more of them tend to be recruitment jobs because I have a big network of recruiters, particularly here in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get involved in some marketing and advertising campaigns, again, off the back of the strength of that copywriting for a recruiter brand. Yeah. I'll occasionally get approached to produce ads or create ad campaigns. And I've got a team of creatives and copywriters that I, I go back to, to, to do that.
1: Great. I mean, my experience tells me that there's a huge market for your services because I think copywriting in itself, your are I'm sure you will agree with this is very underestimated. In fact, the quality of ad writing and, and JDs in general is pretty poor. Would you say?
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to have to make a distinction between ads and JDs at some point, but yeah, it, look, it, 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 it is, and it isn't actually in some ways, I think, I think the rise of social media has mm. made the creation of content uh, more of an everyday thing so yeah. i think more people who've got some natural ability at that have come to the fore yeah um which is which is good um people have probably intuitively got better at writing mm-hmm. and communicating what they want to express because of social media um, however, the bad side is that I think a lot of recruiters or people in the recruitment industry have got locked into habits yeah mm. uh, which at its worst manifests itself in them regurgitating job descriptions and yeah. expecting them to behave like job ads yes, um, and that's really the battle that Jackie and I have been sort of waging over the last seven years is getting people to understand that the two are very, very different things that have very different. Purposes.
1: Mm,
0: um, I think there's a lot of kind of
1: copy and pasting and shortcutting going on in terms of- Yeah, it's uh, the most widely used technology in recruitment. <laughs> so what is the distinction? I mean, in, in your eyes, I think, because uh, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily call it that, that as a distinction.
0: No. Well, anyone who doesn't think there's a distinction between a job description and a job advert is, um, well, they're an idiot. Sorry, I'm thinking of a better way to put it. But, you know, it, it, they have two completely job functions, two different job functions. Mm. Um you know, to distill it down to one word, a job ad's job is to sell and a job description's job is to tell. Mm. Um, and, and that's it. One gives information, mechanical information, yeah. mechanical data about a job. Mm. It's driven by things like compliance yeah, yeah, uh, and legal. Uh, a job ad is driven by sales and marketing and it's there to encourage people to want to find out more. Sure. Yeah. Let's go to the job
1: description first because you can qualify a job to the hill right but just qualifying a binary uh, criteria of what the person is is not going to be enough i mean
0: what's your understanding of what a, J- a good jd looks like oh, i'm not an expert on jds so um i'm probably not the best person to ask and i don't really spend a lot of time looking at them mm-hmm. other than if i'm working and filling a job myself right but but, you know, my job as a recruiter is to distill the JD down to workable information that I can use when yeah. trying to attract the right types of people to that job. Mm. Um, so I, all I can really comment on is, is the mistakes that get yeah. replicated in the job ad from the JD. But very few people want to read a job description on a job board. Yeah particularly at the moment, because most of the people looking at jobs on a job board or are in, are in a job, mm-hmm. they're not unemployed. Most mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Um, even back when the economy was normal, according to data that I've seen, around 60% of all job board traffic was coming from people who were looking to improve their situation in some way. Yeah. So in other words, they were employed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What tends to happen is, is, is that no, nobody's really going to want to read a, a, an 800-word job description mm-hmm. on a job post if they're casually browsing yes because what they're looking for potentially is something that might be better than what they're doing um and Mm. so if a piece of content doesn't make it easy for them to find that out really quickly they're probably not going to invest time reading it but however people will read a job description an Mm. 800 word 900 word job description if it's about a job they've already decided that they might be interested in right because then they're looking at the finer detail who are they reporting to? What are the key tasks and responsibilities? Yeah, yeah. Um, what are what are the essential criteria they need to have? What are the nice to haves that they might not have that they might have to learn? Mm. Yeah, that 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 that. Then they'll have the motivation to look at it, but but yeah, not before. I, th- I think recruitment's changed
1: more so in the last <clears throat> two years than it has in the last ten, specifically in the form of kind of introductions. So things like CVs, things like JDs, adverts. Um, the way we even converse with our clients and our candidates has completely changed. I think the personal branding. I mean, the, the CV itself. I mean, the, the average recruiter only spends six or seven seconds looking at a CV, right? So.
0: Well, so they say. I'm not convinced that's a that's a true statistic. Actually, six or seven seconds yeah. not long. Um, I, I think it might be true of of CVs that aren't going to get looked at at all. Yeah. So in other words, it may take only 10 seconds to determine that a CV is not appropriate. Mm. So if you're filling a project manager job and what you're looking at is a CV for a gardener or a waiter, yeah. you, that can get done in under 10 seconds. But yeah. I think anything else, you need to take a little bit of a closer look. But but, I, but, but yeah, okay. I take your point that, that...
1: Yeah. I mean, if if I was a hiring manager and I received a CV or I received a phone call, a video or some sort of creative way of introducing themselves i would always go for the latter because i think i think personality behaviors attitudes tends to trump
0: skills and experience anyway would you say Depends on job Mm. sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't depends um i don't think it it trumps skills and knowledge um and experience in a lot of tech roles Mm. or engineering roles Mm -hmm. or legal roles. yeah yeah or finance and so on but probably will in things like marketing, sales, customer service yeah. okay. jobs that are comms based. Yeah. So yeah,
1: yeah, it's nuanced. So going going back to your journey, I want to delve a bit deeper into into that, and also go back into things like retainers and, mm. and everything else. You, you say that you do recruitment, which I think is great. I think that's really important. I think you know, in whatever role you do, you tend to have to practice what you preach, right? But wh- why did you choose the copywriting route that you're doing? And I know you've you've done some retainer courses as well. Why didn't you I, just do recruitment?
0: Okay. I decided 10, 11 odd years ago that I was going to move into coaching. Right. Um, a lot of people do as they get older, mm-hmm. Yeah. you just, you get recruitment wears you out. It's a tough business. Um, so I didn't want to have to make, rely on filling jobs to make my living. Yeah. Uh, I felt I'd accrued a lot of knowledge and experience mm-hmm. and insight, mm-hmm. which I felt would be valuable. Yeah. Um, and always the two things that I've always considered myself most, most knowledgeable, uh, in, uh is retainers and recruitment advertising in general yeah, yeah um I always felt I made the transition from contingency to retained in 2000, two thousand to 2001 mm-hmm. and I did it off the back of my ability to produce good advertising so it was the fact that I would create much better advertising than any other recruiter Got you. in that market I was working mm. in would be enough to to get for me to justify the client paying me some money up front yeah Um, and then like anything, the more you do it, the more you learn how recruitment differs when you're working on retained as opposed to contingency. Mm. And the big difference is when somebody's giving you money up front, you pretty much have to fill that job.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, So that then,
0: that then shows, uh, throws a different shade on activities like the brief, Mm. what kind of conversation you have with the hiring manager Mm -hmm. and into what depth, In order to understand the job so that you know so that you can fill it yeah how am i going to sell the job how am i going to assess the right candidates and so you really need to get into some of the granular stuff with the client Mm. Um, you have to market the job well you have to distribute that marketing in in the right places you can't rush candidates like you often will do in contingency because yes. you're, you're you're under a lot of time pressure. You're competing with two or three other external agencies. Mm. But when you retain, you can just take a little bit more time because some candidates need a bit more time. They don't want to be hassled. Um, you need to be able to meet them as well, yes. um, which is a, an important criteria of, of working retained. So mm. yeah, it, it changes. It significantly changes how you, how you actually do the job. And What I learned from doing it is it made me a better recruiter. I became better at Mm. stuff that I'd always found tricky, such Mm. as assessing candidates. I still don't consider myself that good at it, but I'm better at it than I was because I've had to get into some of the finer detail with certain candidates in order to justify me putting them on a shortlist.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've I've been in the sector 25 years now. I've built my own massive business. I've sold that. I'm an NED to lots of different businesses now, recruitment. And um, some of my clients get the retainer piece and they they lean into it and they do it and other other clients they either don't get it or they fear it so what advice would you give to the client or the recruiter to the recruiting business around you know tackling getting their team to get more exclusive business get retained business versus just doing contingent
0: i i I tend to advocate a more prudent approach to it. So any agency that would come to me and ask my advice on how to start making that transition, mm. my first piece of advice would say, do it slowly, do it one piece at a time. Don't just go wholesale or gung-ho at it, which I know some agencies have done and yeah. will do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's up to them. But I, I, I don't think it's a smart way of going about it. Um only allow your best recruiters to pitch it. Mm -hmm. Because fundamentally what you're pitching is your ability to definitely fill a job. Absolutely. So if you can definitely fill a job, you can articulate all of those different parts of the process yeah. and how you are going to make a significant difference to the improvement of that part of the process compared to, say, a typical contingency recruiter mm. who isn't going to go into as much detail in the way the job's marketed, the way the candidates are assessed. And fundamentally, that's all recruitment is, by the way. Let, let's, well, yeah, yeah. This needs to be said here. It, recruitment is only about two things, attraction and assessment. Mm-hmm. Everything else is in support of those two major activities. yeah, uh, And that's what clients are paying for, in my view, mm. is a recruiter's ability to be very good at attracting people to a job. So in other words, selling, yeah. and they've got to be very good at assessing who the right people are going to be, which is much harder, by the way. There was a post from somebody on LinkedIn, someone you know, relatively
1: Big on linkedin sort of slating the sector around you know saying we shouldn't we charge any more than 10 or 15 percent. and you know I, I think a good retainer assignment you're into it beginning with a three and just i think i think if you do it well you can justify that right but i think there's a lot of uh negativity around what a good recruiter actually
0: does and the value that it, it delivers okay the three thing is 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 it gets is interesting it gets complicated a little bit um I, I used to be in that camp where I thought recruitment agency fees were too high. Yeah. About 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of my attitude then reflected in some people now yes. on LinkedIn. Sure. Um, and it's going to sound a bit patronising, but I think I think you're going to grow out of that once yeah. you have the harsh realities. <laughs> yes. Of the I recruitment agree. world kind of. But I used to think, wow, wow an agency is charging 20, 25% of first year salary. Mm. And some of the time all they're doing is flicking through, a, a, you know, some CVs. Yeah. Pulling out one or two, making one or two phone calls, getting one of them out of an interview and that person getting the job. Yeah. Mm. But recruitment doesn't really work like that, that often, but it can do. And I've I've had situations where that's happened and I've made, I've billed 20,000 pounds off the back of doing maybe an hour and a half's work.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: However, what the client is partly paying for is all that work I did in other times where I didn't earn any money. 100%. Yeah one of which resulted in that candidate being in my Rolodex or my database or on my radar.
1: You're, you're 20 years previous at work.
0: Yeah. So so then, you know, why are recruitment agency fees, you know, I always see agency fees as being a standard 20%. For me, that's a fair number, mm-hmm. yeah. regardless of, of, yeah, of yeah. the sector or the job discipline. Um, and I don't necessarily see why somebody earning 250 grand a year should be subject to a 33% fee. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm necessarily right uh, although you know when, when you're going after people earning at that level there's probably mm. i don't know 50 60 people in the country who could do yeah. that job so the margin for error is much much smaller mm. which means the 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 emphasis on the recruiter knowing what they're doing is even greater than it might normally be um but yeah. you know the fees are what they are because that's the market rate and we live in a we live mm. in a in a capitalist society. Yeah. And we have to be governed to a certain extent by um by market rates. The other thing that I think a lot of people forget is that even on retained, as a recruiter, you're still taking on a significant amount of risk. And time and effort. Yeah. You know, I've I've had I've taken on retainers where I haven't filled the job. Mm. Over the entirety of my career it's probably no more than ten percent. Yeah, yeah. Probably a little bit less. I think but that's it's about right, isn't it's it? Somewhere yeah. around that sort of yeah. seven to ten percent figure. Um, and the, you know, at best I've broken even. I think, I think you're
1: right. It goes back to that mindset thing about if you're approaching a client with, uh, the right mindset and from an expert perspective and you can deliver, why wouldn't you pitch a retainer? I think, I think if me, you can have the right process, but if you're putting the client on a pedestal too much or before you've even
0: done anything, I think you kind of, you're losing the. Yeah. And look, there, there are other ways around it. I mean, you don't it doesn't have to be, you know. A third up front, a third when you deliver a short list mm. and the other third when 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 the when an offer's made. I mean, I've always worked to a third up front of the balance on success. Right. Okay. Because the third up front gives me some budget to play with in terms of marketing. Yeah. High copywriters. More recently in the last ten years, I've tended to use copywriters that rather than me producing the content. And they do it better, to be honest, it's some of the best money I spend. Mm. Um so I absorb all those costs and I've got budget to play with. Um and it allows me the time to do the job better than how I would normally do it. Yeah. Um but you know, I, I've had other situations with certain clients where I've chosen I've I've given them a choice of saying oh, can I can either charge you twenty percent of the first year salary, yeah. which is gonna be a fee of let's say fourteen thousand yeah. pounds, or and you have to pay a third of that upfront. Yeah. Or another alternative is I'll charge you a flat fee of nine thousand mm-hmm. pounds which you have to pay yeah, yeah, and I'll do exactly the same amount of work as I would have done
1: yeah.
0: uh, uh, on the retainer um, and you pay half of it up front and the other half when the job's finished and I will report to you everything that I've done with numbers, stats, CVs, everything I was else. Ask you, you mean- sometimes they choose that because it's less yeah. expensive.
1: In three simple but- lines, why would a client go for retained over contingency? What are the benefits?
0: Well, the, qu- the quality of the work. Yeah. Uh, they, sh- they should be buying... Uh, a much better process a more thorough process both in terms of how the job is sold and marketed mm. where how it's distributed how those candidates are treated the kind of respect that they're afforded yeah. and how they're assessed yeah and then the whole admin and 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 bringing yes. things to to fruition you know there's there's a lot of attention to detail that recruiters need to bring to that entire process um yeah, what was the other part of the question again? What, 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 oh, right, they're yeah. getting they're getting greater degree of certainty that the job is going to be filled, sure. which they're not getting on contingency. Yeah. Um, and I think it creates the right impression in the mind of the candidate that this is a company that takes recruitment seriously. 100%. Which probably is not a bad thing in terms of their ability to climb on board with this company and take them seriously. I
1: think that last point I was going to say to you, I mean, that, that's an all too forgotten thing about if you approach a candidate with a role that, you're in control of and you can dictate whether that guy gets interviewed automatically that role is perceived as the best role because it's 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 more urgent and the, the, you know it's i think the whole the whole scope the whole process is elevated for the from the client to the consultant to the candidate if you can get if you can get exclusive or retained um it's it, i think it's the it's the way to go but it, i mean also that I'm, I'm not
0: anti- it, it, conversely sorry yeah. to interrupt you chris but conversely candidates that get approached about the same job by two or three different recruiters mm. which typically happens a lot yes it on does. ever yes. since you know the internet and job board and social yeah. media that has just that 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 has gone through the roof that hardly ever happened in, in my first 10 or 12 years in the industry mm-hmm. when there was no internet it just hardly ever happened yeah um but when it does it just sends a very clear signal to that candidate that this is a company that that takes a haphazard approach to filling jobs yeah, exactly. and if they're that sloppy in how they hire what are they going to be like to work for mm, i agree so what what pisses you off about the industry <laughs> are you serious all day? how long have we got <laughs> oh god um look the retain thing I, I i think the future of the industry or at least the people who are dedicated to being effective practitioners mm. In recruitment, mm. they have to work some kind of exclusivity Absolutely. retain model. Totally
1: agree. I don't
0: think it's possible to to be to become anything more than a than a a spot trader. Yeah, yeah. Of CVs and people and candidates, mm. if you're working on contingency. Now, it's a perfectly valid way for people to cut their teeth when they first come into the industry. Yeah, obviously.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but I think there are other ways in which we could bring new people into the sector that I don't think are, are explored enough. But so contingency will always have its place. I'm not down on contingency No. it has its place course, and it yeah. works it it, it it works better in certain job disciplines and certain sectors than it does does yeah. others. yeah, yeah, but it is it has no future for anyone who considers themselves to be a good recruiter or who has ambitions mm. to be a, a very good recruiter and 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 has decided that this is their career. yeah I just don't see because if if nothing else. Having to continually hustle, it grinds you down it wears you at. And as you get older and you take on a mortgage and a spouse (laughs) and you have kids, more responsibilities, you start wanting a little bit more predictability. I mean, I used to love contingency because I love the thrill of it all. I didn't know where my money was coming from. And I kind of, I was a single guy. I was spending too much money on on alcohol and going out and, you know, all that other stuff that we do in our late 20s, early 30s. Mm And um, I loved it. It fitted with my lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and being, you know, as I've only recently found out, I spent all my life being ADHD. Um, it kind of it worked. Right. It worked for me, and I think I suspect it works for a lot of people. Um, but it's not sustainable. No, I don't think it is. It? No, I want to talk to you about that. Your ADHD, the burnout,
1: the alcohol kind of thing as well and a bit more about your journey but you mentioned that attraction and assessment are two of the most fundamental things in recruitment and this is a point that I love around I think where, where recruitment consultants go wrong they'll, they'll qualify a job they'll qualify a job spec right and consultant A will go to the job board consultant B will go to the database consultant C will write an advert and every single person will do something completely different for me there's too many gaps in that process and having a, a harmonious uh, structured process that everyone follows. follow. You don't want to create 25 mini-me's, but in in mm. fact, you do have to have a rigid process. And I, I think, I'm also getting new, new ops tools as well, but I think half the
0: time, recruitment consultants don't use what's in front of them in the right way. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And it makes more sense for one person to do all those things quite well mm. than four or five different people to do them at varying degrees of competency um yeah. look, i also think companies don't do themselves a lot of failures uh, favors i think yeah. a lot of them could feel more of their own jobs if they just sat down or thought about it for absolutely. half an hour yes. absolutely you know rather than <laughs> yeah. just knee jerking stuff out yeah. to either their hr function or, or external agencies or, or both which is even worse mm. um
1: but making the system work for you as well, like forgetting or not putting an advert on in the right way or not doing the right boolean searches, all that kind mm. of stuff. It's just getting that process right. That's the attraction piece. But tell the audience and myself, like, how, how do you assess people then,
0: yourself personally? Okay. Like, right, Look, my one caveat here is I'm no expert in interviewing people. I'm sure you are. Come I'm on. not. I'm really not. I mean, I'm not a mug either, but, you know, I... I, I... One of the things that I do when recruiting is I kind of downplay myself when it comes to the candidates. So I not right. I never big myself up. Okay. I always kind of present myself. look, I'm just the facilitator here. My job is to get you in a room mm-hmm. with somebody who may have something to offer you that you want, and vice versa. Yes, and you know, a crude analogy that us, recru- you know, that, that that sums up what we do as recruiters is we put people in bedrooms, and those people decide if they want to go and go to bed with each other. Mm-hmm. But our job is to put people in rooms. Um, so my approach to assessing a candidate is I will have, when I took the brief, I will have asked the hiring manager, what are the two or three absolutely fundamental must have criteria that this candidate has got to have? Sure. Whatever they are. And I don't let them give me more than three unless it's absolutely essential. Oh, it's a shopping list, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. It's most of it's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Degree,
1: Excel, Word. You know, oh, well, so, that's another point, isn't it? You know, you must have a degree. I mean, I think that's a dime breed. Yeah, actually, and
0: 12 it? years experience. Yeah, yeah it's bonkers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and most of the time they play ball. And I rarely have I gone to market with more than three must-have criteria. Mm. And those must-have criteria, all skills and knowledge-based. Yes. What do they need to know? What they need to be good at doing? What does their experience need to show? Mm. Never get involved in soft skills, personality, character. Oh, really? Right. No, it's too hard to measure. So you it, wouldn't go down that route. That's very
1: interesting. No, I'm, I'm, no. i i I, I, will challenge that. I'm, I'm, I feel that a lot of the reasons why people or companies hire people, they hire on skills and experience, and they will fire on behaviors and attitude. And actually, I, they, look, they, they need to get the first bit first, and the other, I, the other bits, an added bonus as well.
0: I'm not saying that work ethic, character, ability to deal with adversity, all those sort of soft skills, mm. ability to you know, persuade people, manage right. people, get people to do what's got to be done, all of those kind of soft skills. Yeah. I'm not saying they're not important. I just don't think I'm qualified to assess people as to their effectiveness in any of those areas. Right. I think the client is far better placed to assess that than me. Mm. My job is to put people in a bedroom with them who should be there. <laughs> yeah? I, think, I, I do agree. So, so it's, yeah. can they do the job? Yeah. Here's my criteria. Do they have the knowledge necessary to be able to do the job? That's relatively straightforward to find mm. out. And some of it I can do before I even meet them. Yeah. Does it make sense for them to do this job, logistically, right. financially? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that's it. And if 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 those boxes get ticked, they're 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 justified beyond the shortlist.
1: An interesting one. I, th- I think you're right in terms of maybe things like engineering and development. I think that I think that's right. But when you're when you're kind of running a project or doing doing something quite. Uh, like a program director type role, you know, you're going to have more people management skills. And I think certain styles of leadership is important, but I guess it is situation dependent to an extent.
0: Yeah. Look, if, if you've, if your recruitment experience has helped you accrue knowledge of leadership Mm. and leadership styles, then yeah, why wouldn't you include that in how you assess people? If it's an important part of the types of people you need to recruit, but other than sort of long-term projects that I've got involved with certain clients, where I have okay. started to hire people on culture fit. Yes. Yeah. What yeah. kind of people are they? Yeah. Do they like football and beer? You know, <laughs> if they're in the sales floor of a particular, yeah. you know, then, then, yeah, that gets factored in, obviously. I, I, you know, I
1: coach quite a lot of leaders, and the, normally the the usual thing where they go wrong is their own kind of, like, uh, inability to grasp the soft skills, actually. I think, I think particularly these days, uh, the archetypal recruitment consultant is different to what it was, what they were five, five or six years ago. I think the average tenure for a recruitment consultant is 1.4 years is it why do you think that's the case have you got any ideas about that
0: i've got my opinions <laughs> right look, i need to i need to a little bit more information about that stat it's the average length of time they stay in a job is one and a half years basically yeah, yeah?
1: and i think the average in in general i think it's it's sort of a three-year thing now i think the permanency of, of, of a role is kind of waning i don't think there's not really many permanent jobs
0: these days right uh, Yeah, maybe. I haven't really thought about it, actually. Okay. I haven't really thought about it. Um, why is it a, a year? A, a, one, I, I think, I don't know. I'm guessing off the top of my head, I think there's much easier availability of new jobs. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's much easier to f- have jobs just appear in front of you while you're doing something else, Yeah. which pre-internet, You had to physically go out and buy a certain trade journal or a certain newspaper on a certain day and look at the appointment section or look at the, Mm. you know, the situation's vacant column. Yeah. Uh, But social media has become that new intrusive medium that that radio and TV used to be.
1: I think think with with recruitment specifically though, I think it's all about where's your next deal coming from? How could your next month close the deal? And I think, I think it's the short termism of the mindset around. Maybe. That and I think that leads to burnout and disillusionment. I think that there's the lack of kind of playing the long game a little bit about development and all that kind I, of stuff.
0: Yeah, do I, I, you know I'd be interested to know what the average tenure of a recruiter was 10, 15, 20 years ago, right. whether it was any different, whether it was longer. Mm, it might be because, worse today. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Mm. I, would, I would hazard a guess that, yeah, I don't know actually. I, I don't point. know. I, I'm just, I think. One of the causes of that may be that I think a lot of recruitment agencies have struggled to deal with the advent of digital tech in general, yeah. social media in particular, yeah. the democratization of candidate information. Sure. Now, anybody with the inclination, of the time can go find people. Yes, finding people is easy. Yes, if you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Persuading them to do something is the hard bit, <laughs> which is placed back to my copywriting training. But Absolutely. but it is that's that's the tricky bit. Um, mm. So I think. And, and what that's produced is a massive spike in the amount of companies that are bringing on board their own recruiters. Yeah. So you've got in-house recruitment teams that have just grown. And I remember predicting this on forums 20 years ago, because mm. I've been I've been getting into arguments with people on online forums <laughs> for a long, long time I've got to talk to you about that as well. <laughs> which um, so I didn't just turn up and was naturally good at using LinkedIn. i would yeah. had a lot of practice and been punched in the face a few times, which yeah, is how you Yeah. So, um, but I remember predicting this years and years ago, and, and mm. you know, I just got, I got rubbish as being an agency hater and blah blah blah. But I, I it's got to, mm. you know, when Monster first came along, and I saw the whole job board thing, you know, and and agencies really only survive because HR people are so bad at recruiting. True, but 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 you know, the, the rise of, of corporate recruitment teams has taken so much food off the agency table. And I think that's created a form of dystopia yes. in, the, in the agency world. That, And I think a lot of them have struggled I um, and have floundered a little bit. And I think that's contributed towards the...
1: I totally agree. I think yeah. I, I completely disagree with recruiters who say that in-house people are washed up recruiters. If anything, the in-house role can be more sophisticated, and there's a lot more
0: to it. I think sometimes well, I, than I worked in-house for four years, right. so I've, I've 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 walked the carpet, yeah, um, and I learned a lot. Probably in, in the first two years, I did that. In the four years, I did it, the first two years. I probably I probably learned more in those two years Absolutely. than I did in the first 10. You've got to, got to the manage issue. up, manage down, manage sideways, manage oh. the recruiter. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it opened my eyes to why there are agencies. Yeah. Because the attitude towards recruitment. Sure. Because I was only working in large corporates. Yes. Back then. Um, and I won't mention the names of the companies just because some of them I'll, I'll want to be quite scathing about. But um, the the... Most hiring managers that I've met that where, where I've been walking in the building every day, it's, they, they really dislike recruiting, yeah. having to fill jobs. But they, they, they desperately want us to help them because they can't do it themselves. Yeah, but they treat recruiters like shit yeah. um, for True. a variety of reasons, which you don't necessarily get into. But they yeah, certainly, yeah. at best, they're holding them at arm's length. I agree. Um, so they, they're not giving them the ammunition they need to be able to do a decent job for them. Mm. And they think, well, if I if I get three or four to run around for me, they, the, you know, one of them will get lucky. Um, yeah. HR people, um, don't get me started on HR people when it comes <laughs> to recruit. I don't think recruitment should sit in HR really until right. someone's hired. Yes. Then it can double back to HR, but I, I think it should sit in sales and marketing.
1: I agree. I, I think, I think there used to be this concept of <sighs> candidates and even recruiters having a sense of self entitlement, i.e. candidates expecting certain things. But I think, the hiring managers and the employees, there's such a sense of sense sense entitlement where, you know, they, even recruitment companies, they expect the old adage, I want that person to run through a brick wall for me. I think that's, Mm. that bollocks. I think, I think, but in a good way, I think it's, it's turning,
0: uh, turning, isn't it? I I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting people to do that if you're a very, very good manager. Mm. But how many great managers are there anymore? Not enough. Most people have, have had to become subject matter experts. Yeah, you know, And again, because I'm old enough to remember the pre-internet days, you know, I was a sales recruiter. When I first came into recruitment, I recruited salespeople and sales managers. Sure. And i had been a very successful salesperson and sales manager prior to coming into recruitment Yes, for six years, six, yes. seven years. Um, so I had a little bit of an insight which helped mm. get me started. Mm. Um, but, you know, people had to manage people back then. Of course. Management was a definable skill. I hardly ever see the ability to manage people ever described in job ads or job descriptions anymore
1: oh it's, i mean that's that's why it falls down isn't it they might be yeah they might yeah. have the right skill set but they're not being managed or led you mentioned sales and marketing i want to touch on this point because i think it, again another misconception in my eyes is that you know sales is the most important thing i think marketing is playing much branding personal branding is playing a much more bigger part in in our lives would you reckon
0: yeah I, I wouldn't argue with that it's certainly playing a much bigger part in everyone's lives um I only see it through the prism of recruitment, yeah, and appreciate there's a lot of other stuff going on outside of recruitment in terms of you know the whole influencer marketing and 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 what personal branding means to different types of people. Mm. Um, personal branding becomes an issue for people who are employed, right? And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I'm just saying it's an issue. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies, you know, have got a bit of a stranglehold over, over how people can communicate publicly. Particularly the larger the company, the, the tighter the stranglehold. Yeah, generally, yeah. So people are often aren't given too much freedom. Sometimes what they talk about, how they talk about it online, yes, yes. And That includes recruiters, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame, actually. What's your
1: thoughts on kind of LinkedIn? because it it is about uh it's about personal brand even more so. There's a lot of video stuff going on. You have to be human. You have to you know going on the binary corporate kind of images of people with their logo behind them all that kind of stuff. How how are you how are you adapting to that? What's your thoughts on it?
0: Um, how have I adapted? It's been easy because, um, I don't report to anyone. I I do what the hell I like (laughs) and have, and I'll learn from my own mistakes. Um, and I've sailed close to the wind a few times as, as is widely known. Yes. Um, but, um, look, for for me, my golden rule with social media, and I think, I think this would be good advice for most people is, you know, being a good writer writing things that people want to read mm. takes time to develop. It took me a, years to, a to get good at it. That's yeah. A skill. Yeah. yeah, And it takes practice. Nobody, you know, you can have some natural ability and I must've had a little bit, yeah. but I just worked at it. I read books. I didn't get any formal training. It's only through working with Jackie that I've actually become more of a technician when it comes right. to advertising in general and understanding the mechanics of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what I've brought to my content is knowledge and authority over certain subjects. So mm-hmm. I don't get, I don't, I don't form two opinions that are too strong about things that I don't have a direct understanding and knowledge of. Mm. So I play safe in that respect. Um, my content is always peppered with humor. It is. Or as you called it, S- piss taking. Satire. Well, we we can, you know, banter semantics all day, but you know, it's humor, it's, yeah. it's taking a you know. Uh, and, what's, what's, and that makes the content more palatable. But the, the one golden rule that I have is I never, ever say anything, even if it's a sarcastic piss take mm. or an, or an off the cuff kind of yeah. remark, I'll never post anything that I cannot back up. Yeah, That's good. I and mean, that, look, and I, yeah. would, I would urge everyone to free themselves up, but just, Say yeah. what you like, but make sure you can back it up if someone challenges you. I mean, when I first
1: saw you on LinkedIn, I re- I was originally kind of like, who the fuck's this guy? Yeah, that, a bit I, much. And I now I love it thought that. because I know it took me a while to get it. And I think now I love it. And a lot of people, you probably still get that now, but talk,
0: talk to us. What's, what's, what's been your first or second most controversial posts uh, well, the, the 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 one that everyone keeps coming back to is that is the post I made about Hayes, which uh, I talked about on on that other podcast yeah. a few years back. Which I don't necessarily want to get into the nitty gritty of that anymore. But um, but yeah, it was a joke, um, because it it incorporated the Nazi party. Um, it got a lot of heat, which mm. I felt was. A Bit stupid because people were adding dots right. to join up so that they could get offended, jumping on the bandwagon. And some people were doing that as well. Yeah. Um, to be fair, there were quite a few recruiters who who stood in front of the storm and said, Hang on a minute, this is yeah, yeah. And I remember a lot of who those people were because it, right. took, it took some bravery to do that because sure. it, it, it was, yeah, it, it was complex. a firestorm yeah. uh, 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 for yeah. a couple of days. Um, but I was lucky in so much as I came out of that. Even better than I beforehand because mm. my, my follower numbers went up. Not connections because because there's a difference between connections. Sure. I only have thirteen thousand connections on right. LinkedIn, but I but my follower account is forty five thousand. Yes, so there's a lot of people who have decided they want to follow me. Mm. Rather than, and I think now people see the follower number. I think oh he's, he's already got thirty thousand connections. It's pointless connecting. Right, but that is not true. If you want to connect with me, guys. Hit hit the connect button because I've still got a long way to go to reach 30. Um, But my my follower count in three days went up by 1,400 people. Mm. Now, some of them would be ambulance chasers thinking, oh, what other bullshit is this guy going to create? But, yeah, and, and, you know, I think it was a joke. The joke I made, a lot of people resonated with it. And for jokes to be funny, they have to have some root in the truth. And what I said had some root in the truth. So...
1: There's more recruitment questions I want to ask you, but let's let's get under the bonnet of the real Mitch. You talked about ADHD. You talked about alcohol. Paints a picture about well, mental look, health, anxiety, uh, adversity. Um.
0: Okay. Look, right. First of all, yeah. Look, I met. I was. I was typical of a lot of men in their twenties uh, who were single and who went through periods of earning more money than they probably deserved to be making, which Mm, I did. mm. You know, I remember going out one lunchtime in 1989 to buy a sandwich, coming back with a Hugo Boss suit, cost 500 quid, which in 1989, 1990 was a stupid amount of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I was reckless with money. I was a little bit reckless with how I socialized. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've never been an alcoholic. I hardly ever drink and haven't really drank that much for 10, 15 years. Yeah, yeah, but I can even now, you know, drink an awful lot over a six, seven hour period, but then not touch another drop for mm. a month or two months or, or even longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the alcohol was always a, a means to an end, yeah, in terms of altering my state, you know, making other people a bit more bearable, blah blah. Which which is part of the ADHD thing. Look, AD, uh, yeah, throughout my whole life, ADHD was was you know it was undiagnosed people. Right. I didn't, I only knew what it was three years ago sure. and I've only come to learn a little bit more about it through my daughter, okay. who, um, who is, is in the business of neurodivergency. Right. And I don't yep. want to talk about her, um, or get into any detail about her cause that wouldn't be right or fair, but it's only through trying to help her through some of her struggles mm. that I've realized because mm. she's my daughter and she is so, so like me in mm. so many ways. Right. Okay. And it made me realize, my God. It's made me reevaluate my whole life because sure. I've looked back and so many instances in my life where I've realized, wow, that's why I acted that way. And that's wow. why I responded to things in that way. Or that's why mm. I just thought it was, I was an idiot. It turns out, you know, I, was, I was an idiot sometimes, obviously, but um, yeah, it, it turns out that my brain works in a certain way, mm. which is very similar to how my, my daughter's brain
1: works. Um, See. Knowing that now, I mean it must have almost been a relief in a
0: way because it's too late. It was too late. Yeah, I I've 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 become very comfortable with who I am over the last ten years. Right. Um and that's just a function of age, which mm. is experience. Yes, um, indeed. And so whilst I, I live with a lot of regrets, I mean I, I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. You know, when you ever anyone that goes through a divorce, particularly if there's kids involved, it's just one of the most painful things you oh, can experience. i that myself, um, yeah. and and I I still it causes me a lot of anguish just mm. thinking back to it. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, I, I I just what I've the last couple of years I've had to look back over my life and 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 reexamine periods of my life. I think. Right now I'm starting to understand why that happened the way it yeah. did more clearly now sure. than I did at the time. Sure. At the time I just felt like a a, a ball in a pinball machine yes. sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um I agree. So it it yeah, I I don't dwell on it too much. Um I think sometimes though, um
1: I'm all for kind of um looking forward, but sometimes you do have to go back. You do have to go inward before you can go forward again and I think that um you know, I think sometimes in recruitment, we're so transfixed into the next deal or, or or business that we forget some of these softer skills and the empathy, understanding and looking inward, I, th- I think this is called the Purpose That the Leadership Podcast. And my purpose now is completely different to what it was when I was running a big business. And I'm much happier now. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm more rich in fulfillment and purpose than I am financially. I wouldn't trade what I am now for what I was back then. And I, I get the sense you've got the same kind of thing. Yeah, look, the, the
0: social media has been a great thing for me. Mm. It, it's played to my strengths, some mm. of which were created by my, my ADHD, sure. you know, which were, you know, looking back, Always been a big picture guy. Never been particularly great at detail. Um, sometimes have tremendous problems switching my head off. Right. Literally, can't stop my brain. You know, that had negative effects on my sleeping patterns because I literally just couldn't stop wow. thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know that my daughter suffers from that sometimes as well. Mm. Um, just all or nothing. I have. I, I've always had a very all or nothing personality mm. Mm. where I'm all in. Or it's right, yeah. You know, um, you know, and I've I've kind of always preached to my kids that like, if you're going to do something, you have to give it your all. Yes. You have to try your hardest, or just don't bother. Mm. Or if you start something and think well, maybe this is not for me, then quit. Get out. Get out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. It, it, it's I, I I you know I haven't gone into it. I you know I've only examined this part of who I am because of my daughter. Mm. I'm not too interested in in doing a complete relitigation of my life. No, I don't see any point. No, no. It's some of it's made a lot more sense. Um, yeah, and and so look, social media now has given me the ability to express my thoughts, get feedback on some of those thoughts. Mm. Um, mm. It's an outlet almost. Yeah. Um,
1: Have you had I, therapy or anything like that, counselling or? Wow, we're getting deep here, aren't we? I
0: mean, yeah, it's it's it, a normal I, thing these days, no? I, look, I did um for a while when i was going through when my marriage was breaking down and i was um i was throwing uh too many stimulants into my body at the time as mm. a coping mechanism mm-hmm. um but I, I didn't do it for that long yeah. maybe it's because i thought the guy was a bit of a hack um but yeah i i just thought no i, I can work this through this stuff myself mm. um mm. so yeah i i, I tried that it didn't really work for me um i'm a little bit too bullheaded Perhaps I think,
1: I think it's, it's a journey that we go on. I think we've all got mental health. I'm a mental health first aid, a mental health advocate, and I've been very vocal on LinkedIn about some of the struggles that I've had. And I think when we start having these discussions, I think it's a strength and a lot of people think whatever. But for me, this is how you, this is how you win clients as well. Not just, and it's relationships. is this, 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 is another level of kind of connection for me. This, this is, you know, the, it,
0: yeah, I, look, I, I, I think, I think, um, we're just we're learning more about ourselves. The yeah. world has changed so dramatically, just in my lifetime. Absolutely. I remember thinking, well, I used to look at my grandparents when I was young and think, wow, they've they've gone through so much change in their lifetimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. airplanes, you know, <laughs> TV, radio, two yeah. world war, one world war, not two. Well, but but yeah. you know, just seismic stuff. Think, wow, that'll never happen again. But in a different way, the world just mm. in the last 30, 40 years, has just been turned on its head. COVID is gonna have an impact on all of us oh my god the aftermath of that we can't is, yeah we can't predict yet the next 10 years that will roll out okay. work from home is going to change the the, the the patterns of how we we do things mm. social media um the abuse of social media yeah you know how that gets policed managed sure you know and by abuse i'm talking you know at its most seismic level is you know the trumps of this world you know, and the disinformation and the bullshit right. and the lies and 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 mm. you know the freedom of speech. How do you manage that? It it that that you know how we how we regulate the internet? I think is one of the big mm. societal questions that, that we have to find answers to. Well, we've got Elon Musk at Twitter now, haven't we? That'd be interesting. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> this, um, yeah, I don't know. What's um what's your proudest moment so far, Mitch? Breaking the course record um, at golf. At my local moment. club <laughs> when I was 22 years old. Wow. Yeah. You are happy with that? That's a- yeah. In terms of the, the the physical feeling I had inside my body when I did it, and and it stayed yeah. with me for quite a while afterwards, and there being a plaque in the clubhouse. Right. Um. So I, I, I used to play golf. as As, yeah. as, as, as is now obvious, uh, I didn't start till I was 18, and I got down to four handicap by the time I was 22. Wow. Um. I even toyed around with maybe you know maybe could I turn pro? Mm. Um. And um. And, you know, back then for maybe getting down to three, I might have been on the verge of playing for the county, which which wouldn't have been a big thing. Yeah. Um, but then I lost my driving license through drink driving. Right. Lost my job, didn't have any money, and I had to quit golf for two or three years. So, mm. yeah. But, th- and it's funny, this, this kind of doubles back to the ADHD thing, actually, because um, when I was playing between the age of, you know, getting better and better at golf and getting down to that lower handicap, um, my temperament was awful Mm -hmm. i mean i used to lose my temper on the golf course really badly i used to snap clubs over my knee scream shout Mm -hmm. throw clubs Mm -hmm. and it became there's something of a running joke and i was hauled up in front of the committee at the golf club two or three times and Mm -hmm. uh, and they would implore me to to just try and calm down they said you you know you can be so utterly charming and then you have these these red miss moments and 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 looking back again, that was an ADHD coming sure, out. Um, sure. And I was lucky that I found golf because it's a very individual sport. There's no one else or nothing else you can blame other than yourself mm, if that's things true. don't work. Yes. Um, and it forced me because I wanted to be good at golf yeah, and yeah, I wanted yeah. to be effective as a good amateur player.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and as I grew up, I worked at it and I thought, I've, I've got to stop losing my temper. I've got to stop yeah, seeing red when I make double bogey on the first hole. You know? So it, 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 it's the sense of achievement of winning the tournament,
1: but also to curtail your anger. It wasn't
0: even winning the tournament. I just wanted to be capable. Ne- it was got the defining you. thing. I needed to learn, and I did. Yeah, yeah. I needed to learn how to get around a golf course in under 80 while I was playing rubbish. Right. If I was hitting the ball bad, sure, sure. You know, back when I was younger, I would have shot ninety. Yeah, yeah. But I learned how to be able to still shoot seventy-seven or seventy-eight whilst playing not very well, and that that for me was a sign that I was maturing, Mm. and it it helped smooth some of the rough edges off me as a person because I took some of those lessons into life as well. Mm.
1: Love, uh, love that answer. I mean, that was 20, 25 years ago. Moving forward. Longer. Actually, I'm, older well, than you think. I'm trying to be kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your, what's your purpose? Would you say?
0: Purpose. Mm. I, I'm not big into grand statements like that. Actually, okay. you know, I want to, I want my business to be successful. The copywriting business to be successful. I think it's important. Um, I'm looking forward to, some serious competition coming into that particular training market yeah that will tell me that more and more people are taking it seriously at the moment but, Certainly what, but the why UK. are you
1: doing i'll ask the question differently why are you doing what you're doing what, what's the why are you doing what you're doing what's the reason for doing it apart from paying the bills is there more is there a more bigger reason than that or not is it to give something back to the sector is it to have you thought about well, that I, look,
0: I wouldn't be able to do what i do with the amount of gusto that I sometimes bring to it, if I didn't believe in it, obviously. I've thought about it a lot. I think about a lot of things a lot. That's
1: just... you're also bloody good at it, right?
0: Well, I don't have much competition at the moment in terms of teaching people how to write good copy Mm. within the world of recruitment. I mean, it's niche. There's tons of copywriters out there, millions of them. There's lots of copywriting trainers out there, but there's nothing currently, very little in the world that is specifically
1: geared around recruitment. Without being too disparaging to other recruiters, you're... Uncharacteristically
0: humble, I'd say. I'm not so sure about that. Um, Anyway, look, um, my purpose is to make money. Put some aside so my kids have got something to soften some of the blows they're going to right. experience as they get older. Okay, so that's probably my biggest motivation is 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 to make mm. their life a little bit easier as they get older.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I, th- I was going to ask you what kind of gets you out of bed in the morning and what keeps you up at night.
0: So what 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 kind of what kind of five o'clock gets me out of bed in that? I'm really? up at five uh, every single day. What do you do Sundays? What do you do in the mornings? You got routine or you <sighs> just depends depends what 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 my diary looks like, but invariably it's couple of cups of tea, look at LinkedIn, read some of the reactions people have made to some of the things I might have said the day before. Mm. I, I, you know, believe it or not, I read probably 20 times more than I post on places right. like LinkedIn. Yes. Um, Didn't you have a, a, a period where you, you, you were off LinkedIn for a while?
1: No. Oh, okay.
0: Maybe I don't not. post as often as I used to. Right. I used to be fairly, almost every day I'd post something. Yeah, yeah. These days it's a couple of times a week. Yeah. But then it tends to be driven more by, if something comes to me, a lot of it's still off the cuff. Mm-hmm. I might read something that somebody posts and it'll spark a reaction. Yeah. A lot of my, my posts on LinkedIn have been created where I've started to type out a response as a comment.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as
0: I'm typing, I think, whoa, 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 this is too good. This is too <laughs> good. So <laughs> yeah, I've, I've yeah. cut and pasted it into a Word document and then I'll, I'll put some work into
1: it. And put, Yeah. So in terms of like, do, do you find that people misunderstand you quite a lot because of the way that you, you write your content? But in a way, you get you you get more followers by
0: doing that, right? Look, I I you're probably gonna have to ask other people. I, I it's it's difficult for me to second guess. Um, I suspect probably a lot of people think I'm grumpier and more miserable than I really am. <laughs> um, they you know probably think, oh yeah, he can be a bit negative, which is true. I'm, I'm a glass half empty kind of person. Mm. Whenever I look at any situation, the first thing I'll look for is the floors. Right. Okay. You know, when I smell flowers, I look around for a coffin. Yeah. I'm just one of those types of people. Fair enough. That doesn't mean I, I want to get down on everything or be negative. It's just that mm. my instinct is to is to look for things that might go wrong.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, um, so we're kind of coming towards the end of this. It's been fascinating. Oh. Um, just talk to us about kind of like, we've all made mistakes. I made, I've, I've made some big mistakes what's been your
0: biggest mistake or poor decision would you say i mean there are some that are going to be too personal for, for me to want to reveal here um i've made loads i, I wouldn't mm. say i've i've made any you know that i can think of right now that have been massive or seismic or life-changing yeah yeah it's been more a question of lots of sort of medium size mistakes um mm. you know but i i, I I look back on you know I, I lived in Switzerland for eight years. Oh wow! I started a business over there, a recruitment business. Okay. Uh, that's when the whole retained and advertising started to really take shape. Yeah. I learned a lot, but I was in, you know, a very small market. You know, and I I often look back on those years as me giving my best years to what essentially was a commercial backwater. Sure. And and wondered how much more I could have achieved had I been in the UK between yeah. 1996 and 2005. Um because those were my peak years i you know in terms of you know youthfulness yeah. energy knowledge all kind of coming together were starting to come together probably my my peak years were my 40s probably um, I think they probably mm. are for a lot of people, actually, because it's it's where yeah it's where wisdom meets energy. I totally agree with that. You know, yeah. Um, and as you get older, as you go past forty and and, and into your fifties and beyond, the energy levels start to sure. the, the wisdom doesn't go anywhere, but the energy levels yeah. start to decrease a little bit. At this age, you're kind of old enough to do whatever you want, but
1: young enough to still you know recover yeah. and all that kind of stuff.
0: Um, so I, th- I think everything that I've done, good and bad, has contributed to me being. In the position i am in now which yes. is relatively comfortable okay. uh in terms of my my own sense of self uh, i don't beat myself up as much as i used to um that's good i've got a great partner who has made my life so so much easier yes uh, who i've been with now for lucy for 15 odd years oh, now wow congratulations that's um, great. i've got yeah. two great kids who are just enormous love and respectful yeah um who are both wildly different i've even got a good relationship with my ex-wife which which is incredibly satisfying as well well that's good so you know it's it's all a journey um and whilst i haven't reached any kind of nirvana i'm relatively comfortable with with mm. where i've got to compared to where i was say 20 years ago
1: i mean you know having built a big business myself i'm now a solopreneur i don't have any people working for me i've got like suppliers and things like that and i yeah, love to. i love saying. the flexibility and freedom yeah. of that yeah. um almost will kind of like never go back and I, I feel that um it, I mean it would take a lot of money for me to be offered to you know to go back into that kind of environment and I'm not sure why that is I just just talk to us about that kind of like because some people struggle with the whole solopreneur being completely on their own but I think yeah. you and I are quite similarly kind of I kind of enjoy that that flexibility
0: yeah look, I've, I've I've I opted out of the um of the employed work market when I was um Thirty-three, thirty-two, right. thirty-three. So I was, I was young. Yeah. I, looking back, I was relatively unemployable because I was too headstrong. <laughs> yeah. I was too difficult to manage. I mean, I've had a couple of great managers in my life, and and looking back, they were exceptional managers. Yes. To get the best out of me, um, because I I was capable of producing great results both before I came into recruitment and and mm. and since. Mm. Um, but could be a bit of a loose cannon, bit a little bit unpredictable. Yeah. Um Yeah. So, yeah, I've, 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 um, that's really the only life I've ever known is it's me and yeah. I have to make a living. And yeah. at times I found it incredibly tough. Do you do any in-person tough. stuff? Do you go to any, is it all kind of remote stuff that you do? Or Well, yeah, I, I'm not the best networker in the world, but networking these days is much, much easier because of social media, because yeah. people go, oh, it's Mitch Sullivan. So that, that helps. Yes, obviously. absolutely. So it means I don't have to initiate conversations. And introduced myself which i was never particularly good at <laughs> um so yeah okay what, what are
1: the out of date things recruitment agencies do versus what they should be doing now do you think
0: out of date things yeah posting job descriptions yes. it used to work back in the yes. 2000s it worked because yeah, yeah because um it was quick it got results because and it got results because candidates were grateful for the fact they could find jobs really quickly on a job board yeah. yeah, and they could respond to it quickly via email, you know, with an electronic CV, mm. um, and so it worked. But it's just gradually worked less and less and less as time goes on. So, so look in in the part of the recruitment ecosystem that I inhabit, mm. that's the biggest the biggest problem that I see. Um, yeah, but for me, the most fundamental is the contingency model. It's got to be adapted. I think there's there there, there there's more. Culpability has to be laid at the feet of the clients. Yeah, for the recruitment system to work better.
1: Yeah, are most of your clients the more senior recruiters as opposed to trainees and rookies? Is that right? No, there's no, oh, there's no distinction a, across the
0: board. Okay. Yeah, some of the best, in terms of outcome yeah, or yeah. output, yeah, yeah. Af- immediately after the training, some of the best recruiters had been in the industry six months. Yes, sir. So with those people, there was there was. N- practically nothing to unpack yeah they're not tarnished not not with a bad brush right yeah and what I've noticed with some not all but with some older more experienced recruiters they get locked into certain habits yeah, yeah grammatical habits ways of expressing things certain mm. I call them grammatical ticks it's almost they're writing them without even realizing right, and then it's only you? through when I do this one and I've done hundreds of these one-to-one coaching sessions with recruiters where they'll send me an ad they've written and we'll we'll go through it and dissect it, yeah, yeah, almost yeah. line by line. And I'll yeah. explain why that needs to be deleted, and yeah. and, and, and why that works, but, and where it should, which part of the ad it should be. And and yeah, they they and it them getting out of those habits takes a little bit of effort.
1: I agree. Um, what what advice would you give to to rookies or new people entering the sector? Recruitment writing um, advice or recruitment
0: advice? In gen- well, in general, actually. Oh, uh, God, that's a big question. Let let me narrow it down. (laughs) When they're in front of a keyboard and they're typing out, you know, writing a blog, sending a message to a candidate, writing a job job ad, um, writing an email, writing a social media post, write as you would speak absolutely write yeah. down what you want to say then go through it yeah. line by line and keep asking yourself so what so what what does this mean right. to the reader yeah is this going to mean anything to them mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um are they going to want to keep reading as a result of reading this sentence are they going to want, want to read the next sentence and put it in language that's nice and simple and straightforward and that means yeah. not using words like facilitate and using <laughs> the word help yeah okay um i agree
1: with that you know if, if you i think if you look at 100 recruitment websites, say, and 100 recruitment kind of work for us pages, 99. Yeah, they will sound the same. They the same. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, doesn't yeah. that I really... think they all copy each other. I, I think 100%. they go, right, we need a careers page. Yeah. And they go, let's have a look and see what other agencies well, are saying as well, so same. we get a sense of what we need to do. Yeah. Um, very few people are, are brave enough to want to stand out. I, I think when you're running a contingency, an agency that's predominantly, predominantly, sorry, contingency- it does get quite hard to say anything that's that's yeah that's that's tangibly different yeah. But they could say it in a different way, and and too many of them aren't prepared to do that or don't know how to. Um, but that if if social media has done one thing that's brilliant in my view, is it's made it far more acceptable and mainstream for language to be more conversational and more colloquial. Mm. So yeah, so that kind of stiff formality that a lot of recruitment comms used to have, yeah, yeah, is, is slowly being eroded, which I think is a great thing. Okay,
1: um, you mentioned work from anywhere, work from home. How do you feel that's going to or has affected recruitment in general? Um, I believe that a blend of the two is the utopia. What do you think? Yeah, look, it's,
0: it's. I think it's made an already complicated arena more complicated. Yeah, yeah, which is not a good thing no how are we going to train trainees you can't do that from home no it's much much harder uh yeah it's, it's, it's a big question but yeah yeah look it's complicated uh it's going to suit some people and some disciplines and some companies more than it is others yeah um, and everyone's got to find their own little sweet spot yeah. wherever that might be uh, it's been
1: absolutely fascinating um before we go a couple more questions um you've been saying this last twenty minutes. I know, through. it's it's one of a tricks of mine. <laughs> um is recruitment that bad compared to other sectors? We we get a lot of flack right, but actually I think, you know, there's a certain percentage of the recruitment community that have an enormous amount of
0: emotional intelligence because we have to, because we're dealing mm. with people. What do you, you think? think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um I've got respect for anyone who's 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 done at least six, seven, eight years in the business and is still in it because it takes a certain amount of fortitude and 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 stickability, definitely, and resilience and and you know a small you know some skill in terms of you know, Mm. but you know the the, yeah, yeah. but you know one of the things about recruiters that pisses me off something just occurred to me is they'll overinflate their role sometimes it's to talk about the use of and so like finding people their dream job yeah top talent you know best in the market yeah um you know and changing people's lives i wrote a blog about that once i think what the fuck seriously yeah. <laughs> you're not changing I mean, the candidates changing their life not right. you all you're mm. doing is opening a door through which you know if they decide to walk they're doing the hard work they're doing the walking right not sure you. Sure. so you you're know. not a
1: fan of the virtual signaling around no you know, no
0: I'm right. not I mean and and I think if you do recruitment well it can be an incredibly well paid job it can be very mm. rewarding on lots of levels not least financially mm. but start bestowing upon yourself some kind of social significance
1: that wow. that, that, that kind of but you not get on. necessarily get fulfillment out of placing somebody in the
0: role apart from yeah of course somebody right. rings you up and say thank you so much yeah, yeah you know yeah. you're one of the best recruiters or for the best group I've ever worked with you know I remember the first time I heard that as a, a woman, and I even remember her name, which I, I'm not going to mention here, but, um, <laughs> she, um, she said, you're right up there with, with one of the best recruiters I've ever worked with. And I was just about old enough then to, 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 to sprinkle some salt on that and go, yeah, okay. <laughs> but you've just got landed a great job didn't with they go to a your head big company. No, exactly. I didn't. I didn't. Um, What's your thoughts on this kind of, like you know,
1: I'm an archetypal, you know, 360 recruiter. I did it all on my bloody self, maybe because I was too controlling. And then I, I did have some a team of resources and people helping me in yeah. the end. But this whole kind of 90, 180, 270, you know, 4,000 people doing all these things for one job. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm quite anti it, but I do get it in certain contexts. What's your view <laughs> what on that?
0: I'm a little bit biased because when I came into the industry... Um, the different parts of the job were segregated. So uh, my first ever job in recruitment, believe it or not, was as a manager. I was managing recruiters. Yeah, yeah. Um, It was a sales recruitment office. It was for a PLC company Mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, I opened their first ever London office. They had 14 or 15 other offices throughout the country, and I had three recruiters yeah two of the um one whose job it was simply to deal with candidates all day long yeah and meet them yeah and register them because back then you had to register candidates formally of course before you were allowed to send them out of an interview yes and if you were caught not registering a candidate physically face to face the doe could shut you down right and then there were two others whose job it was purely to make phone calls to bring jobs into the business and uh, my job was to close that business. Mm-hmm. So once the candidate and the job had been put together, my job was then to call the client and to manage the process. So everybody was doing a different part of the process. So I, I have a natural tendency towards seeing the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a client um, that I work with, and uh, an agency who have a similar model. So the, yeah. the sales and marketing is centralized. Right. Meaning it's automated, it's inbound. Yes, yes. And it, they're just starting to make yeah. that work, isn't yeah, it? Take, yeah, yeah. You know? Um and the recruiters, their job purely is to attend the intake meeting with the client. Yeah, yeah. They don't they don't work continuously either. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not competing with other agencies. Yeah. And their job is purely to understand the job, sit behind the right marketing, which they're not yeah. the responsible for themselves, um, manage resources oh. whose job is to build the Boolean stuff and to and yeah. to search. Um, and then to respond to those candidates that show an interest. This is where a good leader, it's a pure
1: delivery, a recruit, a good recruitment manager or leader will understand the strengths and weaknesses of an individual and put them in the right roles. That's why it's important. I,
0: I tell you why recruitment comes gets a lot of flack. Mm. It gets a lot of flack because even people who are quite good at it are sometimes going to be quite bad at it. Right, and that's because being a, being a recruiter asks you to be a little bit good at marketing, sales, absolutely, PR, yes, admin, research management totally. yeah there's a lot of things to be reasonably good at and yeah. i don't know of a human being on the planet who's good at all those things very true. some of those things i've just mentioned i'm awful at That's very true but some of them i'm pretty good at yeah it's a and rare I think breed that, isn't it a 360 is a rare breed these days so <laughs> i think yeah look i i did 360 recruitment as well after that job um and in fact it, it it's it helped me develop as, as a recruiter having to mm. having to eat what i could kill basically Absolutely. um so on the on the sort of last question,
1: and then one more after that, I promise. KPIs, what's your view on it? What's important? What's not?
0: I think KPIs are important, but only so that the people running the business can see what's going on. Um, I don't think they should be set as targets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you look at the numbers. And you use that as the bedrock for training and development and mentoring for each individual recruiter in terms okay. of whatever the numbers are.
1: I've always said CVs, jobs, interviews are the most important ones. You know, Sorry, say that again.
0: CVs, jobs, and
1: interviews, the number of new jobs, number of CVs are sending, number of interviews you're getting. I think. I think yeah, it's... I mean,
0: CVs, CV submissions uh, to yes. interviews is, is, yeah. is a good stat obviously, because that tells you quite a lot about the quality of the work that the Yeah, conversion do. rates, you know, if you're yeah. sending 48
1: CVs for one interview, then it's something like wrong. Yeah. Or if you're getting... But again, yeah.
0: that that that's that's contingency, and I tend not to look too much at contingency businesses because I'm no, not fair, that really fair interested. Fair I only really get involved with agencies that are w- either working retained or working towards working retained. Makes sense.
1: So- So we are now concluding. It's been absolutely fascinating, mate. Um, Thank you. If there's one thing you'd like to leave the audience with in terms of a tip, piece of advice in recruitment or copywriting, whatever, what would that be?
0: Oh my god, you put (laughs) me on the spot here. Um, Look, this is going to sound corny, but just you know, keep getting up when you get punched, and we all get punched Mm. and get decked. Get up. You have to keep getting up. Yes. Yeah, and you have to not take anything personally. Um, and you have to brush the dirt off and keep going. And that sounds incredibly corny. And I'm not known for coming out with corny stuff like that. <laughs> I think I should take a thing. photo of that. That's the first time ever, isn't it? <laughs> oh, if that goes viral,
1: I'm moving. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely a great way to end a fascinating conversation. I could talk to you for a lot longer. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for inviting me.